Slate's coverage of food systems is made possible in part by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Dan. And we are the Farmer's Market in Brooklyn trying to figure out what to cook for dinner. Yeah, you know, we both care where our food comes from and we both read The Omnivore's Dilemma, but, you know, we're not experts. And we'll be the first to admit that our choices don't always make perfect sense. For instance, I'm a vegetarian, but every few months or so, I'll eat a little fish. And I grow my own vegetables and help run a CSA, but I also really love chili cheese dogs. In this series, we'll be talking to a wide range of people about where our food comes from and how we can make the process better. All in the hopes of trying to figure out what we should cook for dinner. Now let's go, Lara. I'm starving. Slate's Table to Farm. I'm Laura Anderson, Slate's food and drink editor, and joining me here in New York is my co-host Dan Pashman, the host of the Sporkful Food Podcast. Hi, Dan. Hey, Laura. Each week in this series, we're going to pick a food, learn about it, cook it, and eat it. I like that last part especially. (laughs) Today's topic is fish. Uh, Coming up later in this episode, we're going to talk to someone who runs a CSF. You may have heard of a CSA. This person runs a community-supported fishery. But before that, we want to take you back to the farmer's market, where Dan and I decided to talk to a fisherman. My name's Charlie Kors. been a commercial fisherman since 1979, Graduated when I graduated high school. So, Charlie, what's good today? All of it. <laughs> All of it. What do you think makes it better? It's fresh. We caught it yesterday. A lot of it we caught yesterday. We know where it comes from. We process it. We fillet it. Note this. It's not secondhand. It's not thirdhand. It doesn't sit in a warehouse for a week or two weeks or three weeks. It's not frozen. It's all wild caught. Nothing is farm raised. Nothing is frozen and thawed out. So have you ever bought supermarket fish? Do you ever buy supermarket fish? Won't do it. Why is that? Because it could be a week, two weeks, three weeks old. I look at the fish. I know what fresh fish looks like. I study it. So for folks out there who are trying to figure out what to make for dinner and they're shopping for fish, what are some of the things you'd look for to be able to tell a piece of fish is a good piece? If you get a whole fish, look at the eyes or the gills. The eyes should be clear and the gills should be red. If you get a filet or you're looking at filet in a supermarket, look at the thinnest part, the very thinnest part near the tail. If it's brown or opaque, it's old. And, of course, smell. If it smells like fish, don't buy it. It's not supposed to smell at all. So you mentioned that, obviously, your fish is never farmed. Do you have a negative opinion of farmed fish? Farmed fish, a lot lot of antibiotics are used, Uh, fish meal. Some of the stuff from certain places are raised in polluted waters, contaminated waters. The environmental standards in other countries are very, very lax. So what's the difference between your fishing methods and the methods that a large commercial fishery might use? Well, I am a commercial fisherman. I do use a net. I do use a dredge for the, for the scallops. I uh, use a hand rake for the clams. A lot of people say we strip mine the ocean. The furthest thing from the truth. This is my livelihood. Why would I want to wipe it out and not have a job? A serious commercial fisherman is a conservationist at heart. We need the fish to feed our family feed you, feed everybody. Have you seen a lot of changes in the kinds of species that are available uh, since you started fishing? The government has put a lot of restrictions on us. Some some don't make a lot of sense to us, but because there's so many regulations, the fish are coming back more and more and more. There's plenty of fish out there, plenty of fish. We we can catch fish and throw fish back because we're only allowed 70 pounds of fluke a day. You may catch 150 pounds, we have to throw 
80 pounds back. We've offered the extra fish we've caught to give them to food banks, food pantries, and the government says, no, you have to throw them back. And it kills us to throw back fish that are dead. And we all understand conservation, but the way they go about it at times, just there are people who steal. There's no doubt. There's big corporations that, that big boats that will steal fish. I mean, the almighty dollar. And, and again, this is where conservation comes in. Conservation is a good thing. But just listen to the commercial guy a little bit more instead of, should I use the word, an activist or somebody that wants to save the whales. I mean, we don't catch whales, but people think we kill whales. We don't do any of that. Nothing like that. Just listen to us. We ha- we, if, it's, if it's about conservation, why do you let us catch 70 pounds a day and have to go back and forth with a boat? We're burning 10, 20, 30 gallons an hour fuel. We've asked them, let us catch 490 pounds once a week. They say no. So we have to burn extra fuel, extra time. Every day we go out, get 70 pounds, come back in. So where's the conservation if I have to go back and forth and burn 100 gallons extra every day when I can do it in one day and catch the fish? And there are plenty of fish out there. Tell me about how you got into fishing. What drew you to it? I just like being outside. Went to the bay one day, started digging hard clams with my feet, and then I bought a rake, and I just fell in love with it. Right through high school, just kept on fishing. Left high school, just kept on fishing. And I found myself one day, 20 years later, saying, I guess this is what I'm doing, fishing. (laughs) How has the industry changed since you first got into it? People can't get into fishing anymore. If you wanted to be a fisherman, you couldn't do it because everything has a moratorium, every permit. All you're allowed to do is go out and catch it for fun. The government puts a moratorium on fishing? Yeah, so what does that mean exactly? A moratorium, lobsters. Lobster permit, moratorium on lobster permits. They're not giving them out anymore. He, so no one except for existing lobster that is fishers correct. can That is correct. I have a lobster, lobster permit. I have a wealth permit. I have a food fish permit. How long do they last, the, as the long, permits? If, as long as I renew it every year. I can, have my lo- I can have all my moratorium permits. They'll last until I die. And I'm not even allowed to sell it to another person. Even if you, Laura, or you, Dan, wanted to be a commercial fisherman, I couldn't sell it to you. When I die, it dies. Or I can will it to my children. That what they're doing is consolidating down the permits. So there is nobody out there. That's amazing. I had no idea that that was how it worked. Um, why do you sell at the farmer's market? Is this a better way of getting your fish to the consumer? This is a great way to get it. We, we get a better price for the fish. We don't, we don't wholesale it. We retail it. Um, people ask for it. People crave for it. We have 13 markets. And if we could do more, we would do more. So what's your favorite fish? Raw. Raw. I'll eat anything out of there raw. Sushi style all day long. Sea scallops, bay scallops, all of it. <laughs> Charlie, thank you very much. So, Dan, what kind of fish do you think we should buy? Well, I am partial towards kind of the bigger fish that you can really sink your teeth into. Mm-hmm. I also kind love... Of meaty fish. That's right. I also love scallops. Uh, how about you? I um So... I will say that usually when I eat fish, it's like if I'm in a restaurant and it's a nice restaurant and I'm out with friends and maybe that's the only option for me or maybe it just looks really good. Um, I am really partial to shellfish. I love oysters and I also love scallops. And part of the, I mean, part of the reason is that I think they're delicious. The other part is that they don't have brains. I don't, I can't feel bad about eating them. You know, I don't believe that they feel pain. I think even like Peter Singer has said that it is okay to eat oysters. Um, actually, there was a piece on Slate a few years ago about how vegan should eat oysters. So like, I feel absolutely no, for whatever sort of like moral twinges I feel whenever I eat other kinds of fish, I don't feel that way about shellfish. You're right, because when you see a whole big fish fillet lying out there on the ice, as we mm-hmm. see right now before us, 
you, you can kind of imagine that this thing was once alive and that it was yeah. a fish. It's, hard, it's impossible to imagine looking at a mollusk. A mollusk is like, it feels like this sort of in-between creature. They don't have faces. They don't have faces. When something doesn't have a face, it's easier to... Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And feel good about it. Because the face is the, the part that the feelings come out of. Yeah, exactly. How could it have feelings if it doesn't have a face? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't look like an animal. No, it doesn't. It looks like a beautiful, just pearlescent globule of delicious flesh (laughs) (laughs) that was a great description of scallops from the vegetarian (laughs) thank you i am a professional food writer (laughs) yes you are it shows um i certainly will never argue against scallops so why don't we get some scallops okay sounds great and let's get sea scallops because bay scallops are for losers (laughs) bay scallops are for losers yeah i mean look at the tiny little wimpy bay scallops over there they're so adorable they're just so small that mm-hmm. it's like you barely even notice that you're eating them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, the, and, and when you cook a sea scallop on a high temperature, mm-hmm. you can sear the outside and the inside is barely cooked and you right. get different layers of cookingness. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's impossible with base scallops. Right. I, I understand. I understand. Despite the fact that I just gave you a bunch of crap for that, I think I would go for the sea scallops. All right. So Charlie had a lot of interesting things to say. I think Laura and I were both uh, intrigued by some of the points he brought up, although I think we also kind of want to fact-check some of the things he told us and and learn a bit more. So later in the show, we are going to do just that. But first, Laura, time for our next guest. Thanks, Dan. So the farmer's market is one great way to get fresh local fish, but there are other ways as well. Uh, Some people are starting to experiment with something called a CSF, which takes fish and applies a CSA model to it. Yeah, and CSA, for folks who who don't know, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Actually, my wife and I uh, helped uh, start a CSA. And essentially the way that works is that you buy a share in a CSA up front at the start of the season, and that gives the farmer – money up front because farming has a lot of startup costs. And so it can be very perilous to buy all these seeds and plant them all on the ground and not know if anyone's going to buy what you sow. With the CSA, the farmer has that security. You're supporting a local farmer. And then you get the food delivered to you every week or two. You get a lot of fresh, local, delicious food, and you support the farmer in the process. So we are pleased to be joined today in the studio by Samantha Lee, who is one of the founders of Village Fishmonger CSF in New York. And we are also joined on the phone by Dale Parsons, who is a fifth-generation seafood wholesaler and shellfish farmer who provides shellfish to the CSF. Welcome, Samantha and Dale. Thanks for having us. So one of the things that I think is a pro and a con, I guess, of a CSA is that you don't always know what food you're going to get. And in some ways, I like that because you end up thinking, what the hell is this? But then you Google it, you learn to cook and eat a new food, and it's exciting. The flip side is that sometimes you end up not liking it, or sometimes you just want to get what you know. How does the CSF work? Does it work along a similar concept, or is it different? Um, I would say it's more similar to a CSA than you might think it is. Um, We also don't offer consumers a choice, specifically on a week-by-week basis. You can't say, hey, I want you know, grouper today or, hey, I want sea bass today. But I think we're lucky in that we live in an area where there's a lot of diversity um, between fin fish and shellfish that are available. So basically what we've said to our, you know, members is these are the types of fish um, and shellfish that are available across these calendar months. So you kind of have an idea what you'll get throughout the season, and we've really tried to diversify it. What is it about this industry that makes this setup of getting the money up front 
for an indeterminate product. I'm curious to hear why that is such an integral part of the business model. I think it really drives home the fact to consumers that, you know, it's not a order by numbers type of menu when you go buy seafood, or nor should it be. I think it's one of those things where, you know, since the 1970s, when we've seen like agriculture become more industrialized, you can go to the market and basically buy whatever you want. Um, and I think with a lot of the local food movements, what we're trying to go back to is recognizing that there is seasonality to all products and there's seasonality to seafood as well. I think a lot of people, um, myself included, aren't really aware of seasonality with fish. Um, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with like if you give me the name of a vegetable or a fruit, I can probably tell you what season it's best in. You give me the name of a fish, I have absolutely no idea. So when we're talking about seasonality, um, does it have to do with you know, when fish are breeding and like it does have to do with migration. Um, I I feel like just possibly because we don't see fish in their natural environment <laughs> because people aren't really spending time under the sea so much. It's very mysterious to me exactly what it is that they're doing under there. So could you maybe give a very broad sense of, of these patterns that affect when fish are being caught? Sure. You named a couple of them already. Um you know, I think there are definitely migratory patterns uh, to take into account. Um, there's also, you know, smaller things like currents or just even topography. So, um, for example, everybody here experienced Superstorm Sandy. Um, very shortly after, a lot of the fishermen that we work with actually tried to go out and fish. Um, and they just weren't able to pick anything up because, you know, they've been fishing these waters for generations. They know exactly what that ocean floor looks like. After a storm like that, um, the floor, the topography of the seafloor changes drastically. So basically, they weren't, quote unquote, able to find the fish. So even things like that, like weather, weather patterns will change what is able to, you know, be caught. Dale, I wanted to ask you, how did Superstorm Sandy and how have weather patterns in general affected your business? Well, typically, uh, shellfish goes through a seasonal spawning cycle. People will complain and say, oh, well, the clams are gapping or the oysters aren't quite as plump. Well, that's because they went through this spawning cycle and they're, um, they're under a certain element of stress. Um, we deal with that earlier in the year. It's not so much later in the year. Typically, uh, the best time to eat oysters is in the early fall through early winter. With uh, with Hurricane Sandy, uh, <laughs> there's not many folks in South Jersey that are in the shellfish business and um, getting through this easily. Our shellfish hatcheries down the bay is completely destroyed. We have to knock that down and rebuild a, a new building, new uh, nursery systems, new pumping facilities, uh, new equipment inside for the hatchery process. Um, it was devastating, and uh, we're trying to get through it. And it's it's a test of our own uh, integrity. You know, the people who really love what they do will pull through. The folks that are uh, not quite so passionate about the business will most likely move on to something else. That's um, really saddening to hear. Has your family always farmed shellfish, or did they do it a different way years ago? Well, actually, our industry was started on... Um, a naturally occurring population of clams. But lately, since the natural production of clams in the bay has dropped off dramatically, we've needed to produce our own stocks with a hatchery. And that was where I came in with my father. Because 
the market for small clams is increasing and the market for, for large clams had decreased so much, it made sense to uh, spawn our own stocks, put them out in the bay, allow them to reach that steamer or half-shell size, and uh, fill that opening in the market. So what does it mean to, um, to spawn your own stock? Where, where, did the, where did the seed clams come from? Well, a lot of people believe that, you know, you can open a catalog and order clam seed off to the 10th uh, the page of your, your farmer's uh, supply store. But believe it or not, I will select a group of clams from the bay or from a neighboring grower. We usually uh, select for fast growth. Uh, sometimes even shell shape. Uh, I even lately have started to select for uh, shelf life. Once I've selected that group, I'll bring them into the hatchery, feed them for about six weeks. We refer to that as conditioning. Um, after that six or maybe eight-week period, we run uh, bay water over, filtered bay water, and we temperature shock them to, sti- to simulate the spring season. And uh, that usually, if they're conditioned properly, will uh, cause them to spawn. There are some people that are not the biggest fan of farmed fish or farmed shellfish. But, I, of course, I understand that there are many different ways that you can farm fish, fin fish or shellfish. Are the methods that Dale and others use that you get the fish from sustainable? And Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Um, so I would say that sustainability is one of those words. It's fraught. Um, because it means so many different things um, depending on who you're talking to. Um, I think when we think about it, we'd rather talk about it in terms of, so for wild-caught fish, in terms of whether or not that particular fish stock is overfished and also are they being caught using a responsible catch method and are they abiding by, you know, sort of the government quotas. For a farmed product, I think you need to differentiate between shellfish and uh fish, finfish. Um, for shellfish, um, I mean, you heard Dale say it. They are basically taking wild stock and sort of choosing the best stock possible and then breeding them and then also growing the food that is naturally occurring in nature to then feed the stock and then they seed the bay to let the stock grow out in nature. So it's actually pretty sustainable. Um, farm fish, um, some of the factors there to consider are, you know, are the fish um, being bred in open water or are they being bred in sort of um, a closed circuit system where there's no water pollution going on? Yeah, actually, um, we're still working on the, the litigation required to label shellfish organic because they, because we feed the shellfish larvae when they're three weeks old, a artificially produced algae, it's difficult for us to label them certified organic. Although they only eat this for about two weeks out of their uh, lifespan, which may be up to three or four years, it's the, uh, the stipulations under the, the legal process to be labeled organic, you can't produce the algae. Um, now, mind you, the algae that we use is the same exact algae that naturally occurs in the wild. It was just selected for its nutrient value. Um, so by technicality, we can't label them organic. But when you stand back and you look at what you're eating, and you ask yourself how it was produced, there's not much more, especially live food, that's available to the consumer that's grown in a more organic fashion than farm-raised shellfish. 
There's no foreign chemical or, or foreign substance introduced. So, Dale, what was it that appealed to you about participating in the CSF? The CSF offers me the opportunity to be closer to my customer base. It brings the consumer closer to the source. It, it brings them into the farm, so to speak. And I think that that's, that the, the value of that relationship is important, especially to those customers who are, are very conscious about what they're eating. And, uh, you know, having an opportunity to participate, it, it's important to me. I want to I, I feel good about what I'm selling. I want, I want my customers to know where it's coming from, and I want them to be proud of where they buy their food. Where do you buy your food? <laughs> well, considering the last half hour, McDonald's. <laughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you know, I, I, sh- I should say, Dale, you know, one of the things we're talking about in this series is the fact that all of us have our sort of rationalizations. We all care about where our food comes from, but there's also times that you just have to go with the most convenient option. So we're, we're just sort of curious here. I mean, when you eat seafood aside, or shellfish, aside from your own, what do you look for? What do you like to buy? Where do you like to get it? Um, usually... The closest to the farm I can get it. I don't like to buy anything that's been left out or frozen or maintained for months on end. I want to be cl- as close as I can to the source of wh- what I'm eating. So um, Dan and I have three quarters of a pound of sea scallops that we got at the farmer's market, and we're trying to figure out how to cook them. So if you had three quarters of a pound of sea scallops, how would you cook them? What's your favorite way to do scallops? I mean, sea scallops are, from this area, incredibly sweet. Um, so I would say, honestly, the best way, a little bit of cracked black pepper, a little bit of sea salt, and just sear them in some butter. And you get that nice, crisp brown crust on it. Um, they're really, really fresh. You can also do sort of a scallop ceviche. Um, not everybody likes raw food. Um, but I think with the sweetness of the scallops, I think it might be particularly good. I am not a huge fan of citrus, Laura. What? Uh, not in my uh, fish. I don't want. I know that the you lemon... have to put lemon on your fish. That's just like required. Every fish. Aren't you the vegetarian? You yes. only eat fish like every few months. <laughs> don't tell me how to I eat know, fish. I know, but like, I it just is. <laughs> how can you not put citrus on your fish? I'm, I'm just. That's, that's not what I'm about. I want. I, I would go for butter over citrus. Okay. Well, we can sear them in butter, and then I will cut up a lemon, and I'll squeeze lemon over mine. And you don't have to do that with yours, but you'll be missing out. Fair enough. Let me just ask you quickly, Dale. Why don't you to answer the same question? We've got three quarters of a pound of sea scallops. How should we cook them? I would wrap them in bacon, put a little bit of olive oil in the tray, and sprinkle brown sugar and honey on top of them, and. Uh, just brown them on both sides for maybe not long at all. Scallops are very easily overcooked. Cook them in the oven. Usually, as soon as the bacon is done, they're done. All right, Laura, I'm sorry, but I'm also going to have to veto that approach, not only because you're a vegetarian, but I actually, I apologize, Dale, but I actually have a policy against wrapping shellfish in bacon. What? Because, well, look, That's okay. I love bacon. Hey, I'm just being honest with you. Tell you what I would yeah, do. <laughs> I, I appreciate your honesty. All I'm saying is that, look, I love bacon. It has its place. But I feel like shellfish is so uh, delicate. And bacon is such a strong flavor. When you wrap shrimp or scallops in bacon, it just mostly ends up t- tasting like bacon. And I want to taste the scallops. I don't want to taste lemon or lime. And I don't want to taste bacon. I want to taste scallop and some butter. 
Wow. Use a big scalp. You'll have more flavor. I, that's what I told Laura at the farmer's market. I said, no base scallops. We need sea scallops. Okay. <laughs> you were right about that. Do you have policies about against wrapping other things in bacon as well, or is it just shellfish? I, I, this is going to get us some angry email, Laura, but in general, I think that bacon is overrated. Oh. I think it's great, but it's overrated, and I think that not as <laughs> many foods right. should be wrapped in bacon as people say. You, you may want to edit that out as well. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Dale is never going to listen to this podcast again. <laughs> so thank you very much to Samantha Lee and Dale Parsons for joining us to talk about fish. I especially enjoyed hearing about the sex life of clams, which I had never understood at all. So I'm so glad to know that. Um, Dale Parsons is a fifth-generation seafood wholesaler and shellfish farmer, and he joined us from Tuckerton, New Jersey. And Samantha Lee is one of the founders of Village Fishmonger in New York. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Mm, that's really good. I love taking foods that are naturally buttery, like scallops, and then adding butter to them. It does feel very indulgent. I agree. Yeah. So I feel like we learned a lot there, Laura. But some of the issues that were raised, I think both of us were kind of curious to just get a little bit more information on. So, Laura, you were nice enough to reach out to Tim Fitzgerald. He's a marine scientist and senior policy specialist at the Environmental Defense Fund, the EDF. And our first question was about these catch limits that Charlie made reference to. Charlie said, well, it's not very environmentally efficient for me to take my boat out every day for seven days. Why can't I just catch all my fish in one day? Is that a valid gripe? Yeah, it is a valid gripe. The EDF kind of agrees that regulations like that don't make much sense. Regulations that result in fishermen having to throw back a lot of dead fish or regulations that result in fishermen having to go out every single day in order to catch enough fish to make money and then waste a lot of fuel in the process and pollute the oceans. However, there are annual catch limits that are placed on different species in different regions, which do make sense. And then what about the moratoria, the, the, the moratoria on the permits? Is that, was that a valid concern on Charlie's part? Well, so here's the thing. In most areas where fishermen are catching fish, there are too many fishermen already who have permits, given the amount of fish that exist in that area. So it doesn't really make that much sense to be giving out new permits to new fishermen. Okay. Now, what about nets? Charlie said he uses nets. Does that mean he's evil? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that means Charlie's evil. We were actually talking to, like, you know, one of Darth Fisherman. Um, no, nets are not necessarily evil. I'm the, glad because I really liked him. <laughs> yeah, I liked him too. I, I was also relieved to learn from the EDF that Charlie is not evil. Uh, so, so if you've got nets that touch the bottom of the ocean, sort of like scrape the bottom of the ocean as the boat is moving along, those can do a lot of damage to the organisms that live on the bottom of the ocean. Those aren't so great. Those are known as bottom trawls or otter trawls. But there are other kinds of nets that do not scrape the bottom of the ocean. They just sort of like float a few feet above it. And fishermen tend to catch less fish using those kinds of nets. But uh, if they're committed to that kind of practice, then they can find a way to make it work for them. And so those kinds of nets are okay. So that means that just, you know, if you are buying fish from your local fishermen, Ask uh, what kind of net he or she uses, and if it touches the bottom of the ocean, that might not be so great, but if it doesn't, that's okay. All right, great. And the last thing we want to know about was Dale, the second fisherman, the shellfish farmer we talked to. I know that there are a lot of problems with farmed fish. 
fin fish because, as Samantha said, it's similar to livestock. You just have too many fish in too small of an area. Their waste is overwhelming to the water. Uh, it's just not it's not sustainable. The, the Just as the land can't sustain that many pigs or cows in a confined space, the water can't sustain that many fish. But I don't know much about shellfish farming. Is shellfish farming okay? So according to Tim from the EDF... Shellfish farming is one of the best methods of fish farming that exists. They're farmed on these ropes that dangle down from rafts. They don't really affect the environment very much at all. They just are sort of like sitting there. And then once they have, you know, grown to maturity and have gotten to a place where you want to eat them, you just sort of like pull them up. That's it. No harm done. So, yeah, farm shellfish is actually pretty good. All right, great. Well, I feel a lot better. I feel like we've done our due diligence. These scallops came out great. Just a little bit of salt and pan-seared in equal parts butter and olive oil. Delicious. So, yeah, Dan, I mean, you're right. I know. So you were telling me at the farmer's market that you prefer scallops that are kind of raw in the middle, right? And like that are seared on the outside, but raw in the middle. Or at least just barely cooked through. See, I totally disagree. I, I find that I totally prefer cooked through scallops. I want them to have only the tiniest bit of uh, of rawness in the middle. I want the rest of them to be to be you know, purely white. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. I, I might have misspoke. I think that these scallops are just about right. I mean, I, I want them cooked through, but but just Barely. They're kind of like the chocolate chip cookies of the sea. You know, I want them like just ever so slightly underdone. <laughs> chocolate chip cookies of the sea. Yeah. Now you're just making me want chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. We'll do a show on that later. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, that about does it for this week. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Laura. You can check out Dan's podcast at sporkful.com and you can find links from our show on our show page. And be sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking about eggs with the renowned ethicist Peter Singer. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous, too. I I just think he's smarter than us and a better person. I totally agree. 